Welcome to the Cascade Church Portland podcast. We're a church that works to be both safe to be and safe to grow through our commitment to intentionality, diversity, curiosity, prayer, and advocacy. Enjoy! Good morning. Our scripture reading today is from Mark 5, starting at verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes, When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. He begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed in the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him, while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she would be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had, been, and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. 
because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some of the men from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, came. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, and the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Danielle? Thank you. Thank you for reading that very long passage um, of scripture. Hi, um, my name is Danielle Mayfield, and I wanted to introduce myself really quick for people who don't know me. My husband and I and our kids have been attending Cascade for a few months now, um, and Kurt was very foolish and asked me to preach. Um, I, I want to say that uh, this is actually my second time ever preaching, and the first time was last Sunday. <laughs> so um, this is something that is new for me, and I don't take this honor lightly. And I'm very happy because um, my daughter Ramona is here watching me preach, which is really exciting. And um, my mom and dad are here too, and my sister. So it's like a, a very terrifying family experience. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> I'm very grateful they're here. Uh, yeah, so I, I'm talking about Mark 5 today, which has these incredible stories in it. And thinking about this series on biblio-idolatry that Cascade has been going through, I wanted to sort of talk about my own approach to the scriptures growing up, um, extremely Christian. So my dad is a pastor. I grew up a pastor's daughter. I was um, homeschooled most of my life. I went to Multnomah Bible College here in Portland, um, which means that when I was 19 years old, I thought I had every answer to God figured out. 
And when I think about that now, that makes me want to laugh and cry <laughs> at the same time. Um, but that's just how I approach the Bible. And, and I thought it was my job to figure out the exact right way to read it and then to tell other people to do that exact same thing, right? So, so that's how I approach the scriptures. And when I think about these stories um, and how I would sort of see myself in these stories of Jesus doing these miraculous works, um, I, I couldn't really identify with any of the characters. I more identified, honestly, with like the author of Mark, someone who's omniscient and sort of seeing it all as it happened and understanding perfectly what these stories were designed to do. And so today, instead of talking about what I think Mark 5 means, I wanted to actually share how listening to other people talk about these stories has changed my life and opened up the scriptures for me in ways um, I, was, I was blind to, honestly, because of, of, of where I came from. So the first story is about this man who's known as the demoniac. And Jesus, again, this is kind of early in Jesus' ministry. And so for me, uh, growing up, I would think these stories are about showing Jesus' divinity, right? Showing that Jesus is the Son of God. He has power over the demons, right? He, um, it, yeah, it's just kind of making a case for Jesus being the Son of God. And that's, that's how I would have seen it. So um, my husband, Christopher, and I, we have this book that we really love by this man named Patrick Otuma. And he, he talks about this story in a way that just rocked my world. And, and Patrick is um, a gay Irish priest and poet, and he actually did his entire dissertation on the book of Mark. And what he found was that in Mark, it is always the most marginalized people who are upheld as the faithful, right? So that is something I never once heard in my life until I heard Patrick open that up for me. And he's, he really loves the story of this man who is known as the demoniac, um, because we see that progression in this story. And I'm not going to go into all of it because it's actually a very weird story and I don't understand all the stuff about the demons and the pigs and, you know, all the stuff going on. I'm not going to get into all that. But we do know that Jesus liberates this man, right? And we do know, here's, here's something interesting that Patrick pointed out, is that the man, once he is kind of, it says in the text, clothed and in his right mind, he actually begs Jesus, like, can I go with you? Can I go with you and your disciples and be a part of, of what you're doing? And Jesus says, no. And Jesus doesn't listen to the man. And instead, Jesus says, I want you to go back to your community, and I want you to tell the good news of what I have done. And the man actually ends up going and doing that. Um, and scholars sort of disagree whether this man was a part of a Jewish community or a Gentile community. He, he might have been the first Gentile missionary ever. Um, the man does that. He goes back to his community, tells what Jesus has done. It says the entire community was astonished. So Jesus not only liberates and heals this man who had been so cast out and so marginalized, this man was living in a literal place of death in these tombs at the very edge of the community, completely cast off from everybody. And at the very end of that story, Jesus is saying, you are the one I want to tell about me. You are equipped. You have it within you. You have these giftings. I, you are the one all along that I've wanted to tell the good news to your community. That's incredible. And, and, and reading Patrick talk about the marginalized being the most faithful in Scripture is just something that awakened something within me that I'd never heard. And it sounds so good. I do think, however... There's a flip side to this, right? So two people who have been marginalized, Jesus is good news, and they receive Jesus as good news, 
and they are liberated by Jesus. But what, what about the opposite? There's, there's another part of the story, um, which is when the people, the townspeople of that community, when they see this man clothed and in his right mind, how do they feel? Afraid. They feel afraid. And so Patrick says, we who are reading that story have to ask ourselves, what were they afraid of? Somebody had put that man in chains. Somebody had told that man he had to live in the tombs, that he couldn't be a part of community. Maybe they were afraid of now that he had this voice of the stories he could tell about the community who had pushed him to the side. And I think that's something that's harder to sit with, right? If you, if you come from a place of power, if you come from a, the dominant culture where everything's working out great for you, we do see this theme over and over again in Mark, that the words of Jesus can be very hard to experience. So we see these two themes, I think, in, in all of these stories on Mark 5, Jesus being good news for the marginalized and him actually elevating them as the ones we're supposed to emulate and listen to, and then it also coming across as bad news to people, or at least it, it seems like bad news in the beginning, right? To those who maybe have power and privilege. So the second story in Mark 5, um, again, I think I would have thought, you know, this is a beautiful story of Jesus triumphing over death, right? In, in the end, Jesus resurrects this little girl. And I think that's great. I think that's a beautiful takeaway from the story. Um, of course, the woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years, Jesus also heals her. This is a story of Jesus again in his divinity. Um, but this last summer, I had the chance to hear um, someone named Dr. Christina Cleveland unpack this story for a bunch of us that were at a conference in, in Cambridge, actually. We were I can remember it so clearly. We were in a chapel, a very prestigious chapel, where like C.S. Lewis had been a part of that community for forever. There's this gorgeous old space. Um, and I later found out it wasn't until the 1980s that women were even allowed to uh, attend that chapel and, and be in that space. But Christina Cleveland was in there, and she, uh, she talked about this story along those same themes, right, of who is Jesus centering in this story and who does Jesus feel like bad news to, at least in the beginning? So she was talking about, um, you know, how important it is for those of us who are reading the Bible to think about our own sort of social and political location when we're reading it, right? How much power do I have as a reader? And, and then also looking at the people in the text, how much power did they have in the society? Because all of this matters to our actual lives. So... Jairus is a man who actually has a lot of power. It says he was one of the leaders of the synagogue. And he came and found Jesus in the middle of this crowd, in the middle of the street. Um, again, early in Jesus' ministry, he was sort of the minister to the riffraff, right? To people who were very sick and very desperate. All those people who had been very, very marginalized, they were coming to Jesus. Um, I love what Pastor Sarah said a few weeks ago about Jesus' miracles really being miracles of inclusion and bringing people back into community that they had been ostracized from. And so it's all these very marginalized people that are crowding around Jesus and wanting him to heal him. And Jairus actually, in Mark, is the first powerful person to come to Jesus for healing. And Jairus is the first powerful person who has faith in Jesus, right? He says, I want you to come and heal my daughter. Why does Jairus have faith? It's because he was suffering, 
right? His daughter is sick. His daughter is dying. And I think this goes to show that even if you do come from power, even if you come from the dominant culture, you know, there's some things that none of us can escape, right? We can't escape death. We can't escape suffering. We can't escape sickness. And so these things drove Jairus to Jesus. And honestly, it took humility for him to go out in front of everybody, especially him having this such high position in the synagogue, to come out into this crowd, ask Jesus to come to his house, you know, honor him with coming to his house. And Jesus says, yes, I will come. I will come and I will heal your daughter. But then what happens? The scriptures tell us that there's this woman who had been bleeding for 12 years who was in the crowd. And um, she's incredibly marginalized. So in that culture, if you were bleeding, you weren't able to go to the temple. You weren't able to participate in the religious community. You would actually make other people unclean if they touched you. So I'm assuming that means people tried to stay very far away from her. Um, She also spent all the money she had on trying to get well, and she actually got worse, so now she's poor. Um, So there's this woman who has all these disadvantages in the society, who's been ostracized for 12 years, she actually grabs a hold of Jesus's robe and and actually makes him unclean with that action, and instantly she's healed. It says her suffering ended, right? And then Jesus, this is so weird, this always confused me when I would read this growing up. Jesus said, who touched me, you know? And his disciples like, what are you talking about? Like, everybody's touching you, everybody's touching you. So they were sort of Annoyed he's even asking the question, but Dr. Christina Cleveland said, like, Jesus is not stupid. He knew exactly who it was. What was he doing? All eyes in the crowd were on him, and as soon as he said, who touched me? And this woman comes forward, and now suddenly all eyes are on this woman. She gets to be at the center of this experience. And I loved how Christina Cleveland said this. She said, and you know what it says in the scripture? It says this. She went up to Jesus, and she told the whole truth. She told her whole truth. And we don't know how long that took. It could have taken hours, honestly. I mean, she was someone who had been discriminated because of her gender, her health, the religious discrimination happening because of her bleeding. Um, But she told her whole, whole truth, right? And Jesus actually centers her as a person of faith, a person to be listened to. And that's why he said, who touched me? So everyone could then listen to her. Otherwise, they wouldn't have right? And I think that's so beautiful. Again, this theme of she was marginalized, Jesus healed her, and then he wants everybody to listen to her testimony. But then Christina Cleveland also pointed something out that happened. What happened to Jairus' daughter while that woman was telling her whole truth? The worst thing that people of privilege can imagine happened, right? Sometimes when we think, oh, if we have to put down some of our privilege, or if we have to, you know, elevate marginalized voices, what if I'm going to lose something? And he does lose something. He gets word from people in his household that his daughter has died. The very worst thing that he could imagine has happened. And they actually said, don't even bother the teacher anymore. But Jesus hears them, and he asks Jairus, he says, just believe. Do you have faith? You know, I can still come and heal your daughter. Do you have faith? And then this is what Christina Cleveland said. She said, What if Jairus, forced to stop, you know, Jesus said he was going to come heal his daughter, then this woman starts speaking, starts speaking her whole truth, and Jairus has to wait along with everybody else. Um, What if listening to the testimony of that woman is what gave him the faith to say, yes, please, 
still come to my house, even though my daughter is dead. Maybe it was her testimony that gave him the faith to say yes in the face of the worst and, you know, most unimaginable thing possible. So I think that's my main takeaway from, from these stories is, you know, we can hold both of these things in tension. That Jesus always has and always will and even is in Portland today, centering those who have been most marginalized in our society and actually wants us to orient our lives towards listening to their testimonies. And I don't want to just make this, you know, spiritual and theoretical. I'm actually very invested in what that looks like in our actual lives. And so I was thinking, what does it look like for me? You know, I'm a white, middle-class, evangelical American. What does it look like for me to sort of step into a space of grief and lament and really listening to the stories of families who are being separated at our own border? What would it look like if we want to see flourishing in our country? We want to see, you know, maybe health care for all people. I, I might have to pay more taxes. <laughs> you know, even thinking about Portland, somebody's kids have to attend the lowest rated elementary school, right? What if it's my child? And I do want to say that if you have privilege, if you come from a background of privilege, sometimes thinking through these questions, learning to center the voices of those who have been pushed out hurts. And it might cost us something. But I think that these stories in the end show us that if we are able to do the work of listening, if we're able to do that work, and, and when we read the scriptures in our own lives, the people we follow on social media, the books we read, if we're able to center these testimonies of people who have been you know, cast aside by the dominant culture, then I think we will see our own faith be reborn and our own, our own eyes be able to see the good news of Jesus in ways that we probably never dreamed of. Thank you guys so much for giving me the chance to come and share today. And I think Hannah is now going to come and talk about ways we can get involved in the community.